I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hi, guys. Yes, guys. Welcome back to another episode of Teams Like Brighton, and I hope we have all calmed down. I have only just about managed to at the moment, because now, ladies and gentlemen, we have to look forward to the next game, which is the small matter of dealing with Arsenal away. Um, (laughs) So not exactly the easiest game on paper to deal with, uh, to bounce back after such a humbling defeat, shall we say. Uh, Richie, let's go ahead straight in. What are your thoughts on this match? Yes, it's um, yeah. They don't get them too much tougher than this. Obviously, the Brighton have got Manchester City um, in not too long later this month. Uh, but yes, hopefully, and obviously, just throwing a bit of context for people who don't know, Tom is still trying to come down from the horrible five-one uh, loss against our uh, against Everton. Sorry, not Arsenal. Everton from um, Monday. So. Yes, this is a pretty, pretty tough one. Um, I did like Deserby's comment um, not to look after the game. He said, uh, I'm not sure if I said this on on, uh, on Monday's podcast, but he said, I spoke with the players as I do after every game. It can happen to lose this type of game. If you attack, you can concede more goals. I think on Sunday against Arsenal, we will show our quality. We will get back to our style and you will see the true Brighton. Um Interesting enough, I think I saw an article today that it was might have been in the mail, and it basically said that if Bryson have over sort of sixty percent possession, or sorry, six or seventy percent possession, no, seventy percent possession, they struggle. They don't break teams down well enough. They have all the chances, but they they can't break them down. I don't think that they will have seventy percent possession against Arsenal this weekend. I'm pretty sure of that. Bryson, I think, are one if not in the top two for possession stats in the league. I think Arsenal are probably in the, in the top five. Um, it's I'm really looking forward to this one because Brighton have a good dec- uh, good recent history at the Emirates. Obviously, there was that fantastic 2-1 win um, just over a year ago now uh, when they won 2-1 at the Emirates after a horrible run of, I think, was it six defeats in a row and then they drew with Norwich after the international break and then fantastic performance to beat Arsenal at Arsenal um, bless his soul Enoch Mwepu scored an absolutely brilliant goal in that game um, was probably the man of the match and that was also Caicedo's I believe his Premier League debut it's pretty nuts to think that that was just over a year ago and now he's you know you could probably get 100 million for him it's crazy Um so, and then obviously in, in November, they beat them in um, pretty well in, in the Carabao Cup, uh, 3-1 win, but then lost 4-2 at the Amex in uh, on, in December. So, Brighton have shown that under deserve it, they can beat a Mikel Arteta team. Arsenal were really sort of caught Brighton um, out with their really, really high attacking pressing line in that win at the Amex. They... 
I think we've seen a number of ways that you can beat an, a Deserby team. It's, for example, you know, Everton. I mean, it helps when when Deserby's team are off the pace a little bit and are or tired, as you know, the case at Forest. But I think you either just putting it, you know, in in being a bit reductive. You either sit back, have a you know low block, and then try to hit them on the counter, or you press them really, really high up the pitch, which it takes a lot of. Um, doing it's, it's not easy to do because Brighton are so slick at the back but Arsenal did find a way through so I it'll be very interesting to see one if Brighton have recovered physically from a very busy run of fixtures uh and if mentally they're up for taking on you know Premier League touch challenges Arsenal on their own patch um I mean it'll be fantastic I I think a result would be you know just getting a draw would be a good result just to um, you know because you've got a really tough run you, you know we've got um, Arsenal next and then you've got Newcastle away so that could be potentially three defeats in a row um, they do have the benefit of having games in hand then they've got a, probably a a game that they should win against Southampton and then City obviously at home and then Aston Villa so. I don't think the expectations are too high for this one, but I definitely think uh, <laughs> I definitely think they will want to bounce back after a pretty humbling uh, performance. What about you, Tom? Uh, yeah, I think you summed it up well in that last sentence. Really, I, we we need a result. We need to get a result quickly. Uh, otherwise, we're we're going to be finding ourselves really finding desperately finding those points in probably even probably more difficult fixtures Newcastle Newcastle away well we've seen Arsenal manage to get a result against them but then again there, there are 16 points between those two sides despite the fact there's only one place between them so you can see the goal where the golf is between uh the top two and the rest of the top four this season so I don't think we should really be pushing ourselves that much against Newcastle it's going to be it's going to be a tough place especially when it's on the Thursday night I don't think many fans are going there judging by the ticket sales that we've seen on the site so that's going to be a hard one City's going to be an even tougher one Southampton on paper should be the should be the case but then but there's a part of me that thinks well relegation could be confirmed to them sooner rather than later so what what where we get where we're going to get these results from and, and so going back to that Southampton thing the funny thing is you usually see is that when a team is confirmed with relegation they tend to get the results afterwards because they've got nothing to play for so you're in a really catch 22 really going like great we're facing the bottom of the table on the other hand they've got nothing to play for they've got nothing to lose so they're the most dangerous opponent really when you think about it then you've got the small matter of Villa and City as well so I think I'm, I'm going to say the old cliche here, but you know the, the, these games are going to define our season. We're we're into the last five matches now. We've got what two weeks left of the season now, so we really need to push on from this two, we're two three weeks even, uh, and just try and get these results in. We need to, but if we could get a win again against Arsenal, if we could get a win similar to what we did last season when we were on the seven eight win. Uh, losing streak fantastic happy days um 
sadly, I'm, I'm gutted that I've missed out on getting tickets to that game because I was really looking forward to that one. I think that's gonna, I think that's gonna be a special match, and that packed away end can really carry teams at the Emirates if uh, push comes to shove. But look, they're fighting for title as well, and they're going to be look, looking to get as many points as they possibly can in their last three matches. So it all counts for them as much as it all counts for us. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. But it is an interesting stat you're saying about the whole if Brighton have 70 or more percent of the possession. Because I do kind of feel like whenever we're in control of that possession, I feel like the, the, the other teams respond with a really low block. And like you say, it's difficult to manage that. It's difficult to break down. It's harder to find those gaps that Deserby likes to find when on the ball. So you're going to get that more when you're playing like for like. And I think that could be the case here. If we can get a good couple of counter-attacks in, where we get a few chances, all of a sudden momentum could be shoving our way. Um, so hopefully we could get go to that case. And uh, yeah, Arsenal pick pick up their third, no, fourth um, match without a win in their last six matches. And that'd be lovely. I think one one thing that I'm intrigued to see is um, I because, you know, there's been so many games um, and obviously injuries have taken this toll. Brighton are... Uh, we're currently speaking on, on the Thursday ahead of uh, Deserby's press conference on the Friday, but um, you know Brighton are sadly now it looks like you know we'll, we'll get more information on this, but it, it'll probably mean that Solid March is out for the season because he looked like he hurt his hamstring or maybe even tore tore it um, against Everton. You know he's scored I think seven goals and seven assists in the Premier League this season, so that's you know a big big loss. Uh, and Lana's out for the season. Obviously, Yakamoda's yeah, long-term absentee still out. Tarek Lamptey's probably out for the season. Jeremy Sarmiento probably out for the season. Joel Veltman, hopefully, will be back soon. We really need him. Uh, I think you can only ask so much of Pascal Gross to keep on playing at right back. Um, so it's, it's becoming a bit more of a threadbare squad. And unfortunately... Um, I wouldn't say found out, but I do think Matoma is not playing quite as well. Um, there's been a couple of guys in the last couple. Obviously, Juan Basaka did a real number on him at Wembley. Uh, I thought it was a more even battle at the Amex when Brighton beat United uh, last week. Yep. Um, but even then, Basaka still pretty much, you know, I'd say held his own. He got a good couple of shots himself. And then it looked like it was going to be business as usual against Everton, um, against young Nathan Patterson. But then he got the upper hand against Matoma as the first half wore on. And then I would say probably won that battle in the second half. So um, I spoke to a couple of the... Uh, and it should have passed as well. Yes. Um, spoke to a couple of um, Japanese reporters who, who basically... Uh, Follow Matoma every single game. It's quite interesting to see that because you don't really get that with other. Um, well, I haven't experienced it in terms of journalists purely following one player. Uh, apparently, Tommy Asu at Arsenal um, is less talkative, whereas Matoma literally speaks to the same group every single game. Um, but he basically, apparently, he said to them that he wants to play every game. He wants to play every minute. It's not a case of oh, I need a bit of a rest to to maybe. Um, recover my strength or find my mojo again he wants to keep on playing and i think he'll just he'll keep on at it so hopefully um you know he was he was pretty lethal in um in the games against arsenal this season he scored 
uh, at the Amex and he scored at the Emirates. So hopefully he can sort of, um, you know, find uh, find his form once again. Um, so I think, yeah, it's a question of, it's, it's not great when you have obviously players not in form and also injuries. Um, would you make any changes, Tom, to to the lineup at all? I mean, I, I guess we haven't really got that many options. Um, I, but would you maybe, but just saying, um, would you bring back Cole? Uh, would you start Gilmore in midfield? Um, would you? I assume you'd probably want Ferguson starting up front. How do you? How, uh, and then obviously we talked about it on Monday. Perhaps Sanchez in goal over Steele. Yeah, I think I think we're going to expect a few changes. I think Webster's going to get dropped. Um, I think Steele's place is going to be in contention as well. I do think if if Ferguson's fit enough to start, then I do think that he'll be he he will be starting. If not, it's going to be Welbeck and maybe Ferguson's second half just to see what we could do there. Uh, I I reckon Undaz going to get dropped and Gilmore brought in. I think if we get three man central midfield in there, then we could be seeing something a little bit different. Gilmore's been really impressive. I was quite surprised the fact that he didn't yeah. feature in the Everton match as much as we hoped. I, I know he came on for a cameo at, towards the end after Sully March um, was injured. So I'm hoping I'm hoping Gilmore gets a feature because I think he's, now that he's getting a run of games in a few more minutes in, under his belt, he's starting to come alive, live a little bit, which is great to see. Whereas, you know, Sully March got pushed on. He got... He, Deserby took a risk with him and his hammy went. So there's not much we can really do about that. It'll be interesting to see what happened, um, what the latest is on that uh, in the comp- in the press conference uh, for Deserby. Buenanote, don't think he's going to start either. Uh, then again, I don't know who, who who's going to start in front of him. When I look at the squads, I think oh, probably Inciso might come in, maybe. Yeah. Um, I know Yasin Yari's played in the middle, but maybe he might play as like an inverted winger. Who knows? So the options are very, very limited for Deserby right now. Yeah, there's a lot of young prospects coming in. Yari's one, Paul Van Heck's another, Andrew Moran's another. But are they ready to really push on with us in Europe? I don't think that's going to be the case. But I do, I could see, I can see uh, Deserby getting forced to play some of these youngsters going forward which could be which could be a bit of a concern but I think that's just the case of you know it's sadly it's the luck it's the luck of the draw that we've got at the moment you know we've we've dealt with some really nasty injuries you know we've lost a talented midfielder in Enoch and Webu for through um his condition so there's a lot of uh there's a lot of lot of drawbacks that we've suffered at the Albion this season, and when you look back on it, you just kind of can't help but think that blimey, we've achieved a lot um, already this season, considering what has been thrown at us. And still looking back on this, I, I still can't help but think that Spurs match that Spurs match hurts more than the Everton loss. Just yeah. reflecting on it this week, it still hurts. I'm sorry. I know, I know people have told me to move on from it, but I can't. I, I can't. I am. I, I I've lived and breathed the album for so many years of my life and I just can't believe that our biggest chance of getting European football could be in the balance because Spurs robbed us of three points. Still fuming over that, Richie, still fuming. But yeah, I think again. the only way that we won't obviously 
um, think about that is if Brighton finish ahead of them in the league. I think that's the only thing. But yeah, if, if that could be the case, it's just yes. As... But let's not let's not go down that rabbit hole because yes, that's not no. a nice place to go. Um, but like the the reassuring thing is that we are seventh right now, which means that all things being equal, if United and City stay in the top four, one of them goes on to win the FA Cup, <coughs> City. Um, that means that another Europa League place has dropped to sixth which means the Europa League conference spot is dropped to seventh, which is where we are, which means as things stand, we are potentially on course for Europe, which is amazing. And we can all be looking forward to our weird and wacky trips around Europe three times on a Thursday later on this year in October and November, December. Fingers crossed. But yes, segueing on when you mentioned Europe. um... I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. I wrote an article today about Andy Zakiri, uh, who's obviously not really had much joy since his move from uh, Lausanne in 2020. Um, he's a, he's only played, I think, 13 times for Brighton, and quite a few of those. And I think this is probably um, maybe yeah graham potter what were you thinking left wing back no um sorry <laughs> he, he he wasn't given much of a chance he only played 13 times he scored one goal but for quite a few of those he was playing at left wing back he was playing out of position he wasn't really given the chance he then had a, a disappointing loan spell um in the bundesliga last season um with uh i think it's augsburg augsburg, augsburg um, yes and yeah, so I think he scored two goals in 20, 20 games or something like that. And but he's having a bit more joy on loan at FC Basel, where he has scored 16 goals in 44 games. So not like mind blowing figures, but an improvement for sure. Uh, so the 23 year old uh, moved to the Swiss side, uh, his native Switzerland, on a loan to buy deal. So if things go well, Basel can take up that option and he can become their player permanently. He's still got more than a year left in his contract at the Amex. So I'm just going to read you some comments from his agent, uh, Mikkel Aschirle, probably butchering that pronunciation, but um, I will read it. So he basically says, Zakiri is happy and is only thinking about the present and doing well. Basel have a right to buy, which can be exercised. Oh, uh, I've just lost it. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> my my uh, icon thing just went for the whole screen, so that threw me off. Excellent work. Uh, yeah, so um, that can be exercised before the last match of the season. Um, and... He then says, going back to Brighton, I would like to add that we meet every 10 days with the English team. 
Basel would like to redeem him, but there is an economic uh, reality behind it. If we look at the statistics, it is logical that they would like to keep him, but they have to see if they are able to. Eventually, we could talk to other teams if he's not redeemed. Uh, he only has one year left in his contract at Brighton, but he has to play there next season because there will be the European Championships. Um, and essentially, he wants you know uh, to get called off for Switzerland because he says Zakiri represents the future of the national team. Uh, and just to add, he said there are several teams that have already contacted me to buy him. Uh, Zakiri played in the Juventus youth team. He likes Italy and Syria. Um, after the matches. Uh, against Fiorentina in the mate, we'll talk about the redemption. So, somewhat up in the air, what happens? Uh, Tom, would you like to see uh, him given a redemption at, at Brighton, or do you think that ship has has sailed? No, give him a chance. Give him a chance. I think give, give us some more options because we. <laughs> I, I can't I can't stress this enough. Like, look at the situation that we're in right now with injuries and woes at the moment. You know, we're we're stretching an attacking midfielder playing right wing or left wing at the moment in Buenanote. You know, we've got no Soddy March now, so we haven't again we're losing another winger. He's someone that can play up front, he's someone that could play on the wings, he can definitely offer us something a little bit more. He can provide a bit of competition with Matomo on the left. Uh it gives us the perfect opportunity. If we get Europe, it, it's the perfect opportunity for us to kind of like say, okay, let's see what you're worth. You've learned a lot. Got, I mean, he's got 16 goals in 44 appearances. But yeah, people are going to say, yeah, but the Swiss League is different. I got, and, and to which I'm going to say, yeah, Moises Caicedo was quite average in the Belgian Pro League. Really. And beer shot. Well, I think last time I checked, they got relegated. So, you know, he had a pretty average spot, but we knew what we needed. And Caicedo has been fantastic for us ever since. Look what's happened there. And I think that there, there is something in, in there in Zakiri that can really help us up and push on from for us next season, whether that's helping us with squad depth or providing serious competition with, on the wings or up front. Let's explore it because Deserbi needs the options. Yeah, Jao Pedro is in the mix as well. But I think let, let's get some more players in because we we quite clearly need it. Yes, I I wonder because so this we can open up a, a sort of a wider conversation about uh, Brighton's lone army because it is a lone army. It's a, a never-ending conveyor belt of possible talent. We don't quite know how good they're going to be. Uh, so I've just got a list of some players. So just sticking with. Um, forwards one i think i know the answer of what you're going to say but the other one is maybe a little bit of a uh, i love uh, how you don't even have to say anything for the first <laughs> one you just know, i just know who it is the people the listeners will know who we're on about as well okay uh abdullah simmer yeah, ah, you didn't expect that one, did you? <laughs> no, I, d- I, d- I didn't expect that one. I didn't expect. <laughs> oh, yeah, so the two, the two I obviously talk about. Just looking at um, some of the the loanies out here at the moment. So obviously, on top of Zakiri, there's also Aaron Connolly, who's who has been on loan at Hull City, and then Abdullah Simmer, who's been on loan at French side Angers, uh, who I have already been relegated. Um, 
So he has scored four goals and bagged two assists in 30 games. And Aaron Connolly obviously had a really, really... Um, it looked like he, he, he might have... He was very... Um, uh, it looked like he was maturing a bit just in terms of his comments, a bit more introspective and saying the things he shouldn't have done in the past. But he, he had a low move that didn't really go to plan at Venezia. He barely played there. And then showed a bit more promise at Hull, but unfortunately um, an injury curtailed his season and he hasn't played since after scoring, I think, two goals in, in the game. Um, so what's your thoughts on Connolly and Sim? Connolly, no. Straight away. I, I think he I think he had his really big chance and I don't think he took it. I feel that if he comes back, I don't think it's going to help him personally because I think he needs minutes. He needs football week in, week out. He's that kind of player. He, I think a lot of people are talking about how he's just oh, taking water, like water on the Ducks' back over at Hull. Yeah, his injury's been curtailed. The season's been curtailed with an injury. But I think I think he probably should stay at Hull, to be honest with you. I don't think the Premier League really, at the moment, is his level, let alone uh, a side in the top six, top seven. So I think Connolly needs to be shipped out and just say, you tried your best, mate, but you need to really push on because, you know, he's, he, I think he's 24 next year. So he really needs to just take, take the opportunities he, as it comes. Um, as for Sim, I feel sorry for him because he got a really nasty injury at Stoke, I believe. He had multiple and injuries. Really, he got so yeah, unlucky there. He was so unlucky, and I think that's really hampered his development. So, I, 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 I it depends what you know. The likes of what uh, David Weir and Gordon Greer see in him in terms of his loan performances, what what the aims were in that loan performance, in that loan season. They knew when they sent him to Onja that, you know, he's going to be in for an absolute relegation dogfight where it's a foregone conclusion what's going to happen there. In Ligue 1, they have four um, relegation spots this season because they're reducing their league to from 20 to 18. So, you know, I think, I think it was always going to be a foregone conclusion and I think he was just there just to get minutes under his belt and a bit of confidence so it'll be interesting to see what happens there um but personally for me um i know i know you asked me on Connolly and Seema, but i'm really excited for simon adingra coming over yes well we can we'll move on to uh him as well so obviously we've um uh yes the the watford guys coming over um which is which is you know exciting i guess um so in terms of the wingers uh, we've got Simon Dingra, who I believe is their top scorer this season. I think he's in double figures. Um, and there's also uh, Reda Kadra, who I don't think has... He's had a tougher loan season in comparison to last, where he was... I think he was one of their best players for Blackburn. Um and then it looked like he was going on the next sort of stage of his progression by going to, you know, Sheffield United, who have obviously have now been promoted back to Premier League. So one of the big guns, and it looked like, oh, if he can play there, then that's another good step up for him. Uh, but it never really worked out for there uh, at, at uh, the Blades. It seemed as if 
he just didn't really fit in um hecking bottoms team um and and then uh, he was uh then he spent the second half of uh this season on loan at Birmingham so it seems that I remember when um I think it was in the 2021 season he came on as a 19 year old for his Premier League debut away at Man City and there's a couple of his under 23 goals were absolutely incredible like absolute fantastic pace brilliant skill unbelievable shot on him uh he seems like a real talent i wonder if he's still a little bit raw i remember there were times when tony mowbray was quoted as saying like i'm sort of i'm screaming at him on the pitch because he doesn't have the sort of the he doesn't have so much of a football brain as you know as maybe like a pastor gross does he obviously didn't quote saying pastor gross but he maybe needs a bit more direction on the field than others do um so yeah, with Kadra, uh, he's turning twenty-two this summer, and Adingra's, uh, I think, turning twenty-one, or might have already turned twenty-one or um, some of that. Uh, so yes, Adingra to follow in Matoma's footsteps. And what do you reckon about Kadra? Uh, absolutely, I think I think he's going to be following in Matoma's footsteps, and then Dav's in the fact that. You know, he's done wonders over at USG and I think next season he's going to be ready for um, a place in the Premier League squad. Um, in terms of Kadra, I do feel sorry for him because I think if the three, if that four or five year project that Potter had in mind when he started off at the club was still in place right now, I think we would see Kadra in, in this squad right now. I don't think a lot of the, a lot of the players... Um, a lot of players, a lot of the staff, backroom staff and the board expected us to just skyrocket so much as we have yeah. done in the last season and a bit. And I think that's where Kadra's kind of just got himself in a bit of kind of like a night, bit of no man's land there. I think yeah. he's been caught out with that. I think he's good enough for the Premier League. Do I think he's good enough to help us just push on that little bit more? I don't know. I think the Blake, the loan spell at Sheffield United didn't help. Personally, I think he should have stayed. He should have had another year at Blackburn Rovers. He, it seemed to work out really well there. He was thought really highly of by the fans. I think he was player of the season there as well. Um, uh, Van, Van Heck was player of the season. Um, ah, yes. Kadja was, I think, in the top three or something like that. Yeah. So, again, like Van Heck, Van Heck was there, and but he's been in, in and out of the squad. So, I think that kind of gives you the hint of where... Kadra is at the moment and the quality that we have as it is it, it, is he going to be a viable option I don't think so it would be interesting to see what happens next but personally for me you know Simon Adingra comes in Zakiri comes in maybe uh, push I, th- I think I think we might see Deserby really value the options there and just give them a chance if they don't respond quick enough then you know, we, we, we'll we'll push on and we'll move on to the next step. You know, we've, we've still got, you know, our club record signing, João Pedro, coming through, coming to us as well, which I think is a fantastic bit of business. So, you know, the, the future is bright for next season. I think and it's really bizarre for me to say that because usually when you see, you know, clubs of our stature that achieve these kind of heights, you kind of look at ourselves and go, well, what now? And they, you kind of find yourself in this moment where you just got to enjoy the squad. But we've got so many players to look forward to seeing in a blue and white shirt. Um, 
it kind of make it kind of makes you feel a little bit better in terms of how this season could possibly end. At least gives you a little bit of a uh, a little bit of a, <laughs> a a positive note to end on if uh, things go sour at Villa Park. Yeah, I think the point you touched upon uh, about sort of the progression is really interesting because it's almost like that you know the the club made these sort of future signings. Oh, I've lost Tom. No, I'm just trying to charge my laptop. <laughs> so I wasn't that boring. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so, but yeah, just in terms of you know, it's say so the trajectory was you know, you know, kind of just steady, and then it just went whoosh like that to go from to ninth, and so the yeah, like you say, the plans to have players who were maybe to a, a lower to middling club might have been okay, but now it's like, well, this is we've just gone through the roof. So how how do we how do you prepare for that? You know, are these players now not good enough? Um, and Brighton have a humongous amount of players out on loan. So unfortunately, a lot of people I think are probably going to be disappointed. Um, wrapping up the loan thing, and then we'll we'll move on to uh, Arsenal, where we will talk to uh, Kaya Kanak of Football London for the Arsenal perspective. Um, in midfield, Tom, obviously the big question marks this summer were Caicedo and McAllister. Will or will they go? Or will or, uh, will or won't they go? Sorry. As the options Brighton have, it's maybe not as much strength and depth as we would like, and certainly not to this near enough a level, I think, to the you know dizzying heights of a Caicedo and McAllister. So out on loan, Stephen Alzate. Doing pretty well at Standard Liège. Interesting one there. And then a little bit young, younger guys. You've got, I think it's probably a, a bit too big a jump for the time being. You've got Mark Leonard, who's on loan at Northampton Town. And they've just got promoted from League Two. But to go from League Two to Premier League is probably a bridge too far. I think maybe another loan spell, perhaps at League One or Championship level would be good. Um Similar, similar with Kasper Kozlowski. I don't. He hasn't had that much. I think joy at Vitesse um, in the Dutch league, and I think he wasn't as um, the loan spell at uh, Union wasn't as fruitful as he would have liked. And then you've also got um, Jensen Weir, who was at uh, Morecambe, but he couldn't stop them from getting relegated uh, from League One. So, and just just to wrap it all up different position Hayden Roberts out of contract this summer but I think there is an option to extend it I could I could be wrong I wouldn't be surprised if Brighton did exercise that a oh, while well, maybe give him a new year a new one-year deal so on those four Alzate just to confirm Taylor Richards has left Brighton a bit of breaking news for you uh he was on a loan to buy deal at QPR and that has now been sorted so he's now with them uh unfortunately that didn't move didn't really work out but there you go uh so alzate uh i guess leonard kozlowski weir and roberts yeah so uh leonard and weir that i think that they're, they're still a good few years behind even the talk of them being in the Premier League. So I think another loan spell for them will help them develop further. Um, Hayden Roberts, I think we should definitely give him 
another contract. He's definitely good. I think he's going to be someone that deserves. He's going to be really keen to teach and develop. He's 21. I think he had a pretty decent season for Derby anyway. Um, again, he's he's 21 years old, and I think he when when I've seen him on the telly, he carries himself really well. So I think give him give him that preseason, see where he is on loan, uh, and you know see, explore that opportunities. Um, Stephen, as I, said, I mean, I, I've made it no secret on this podcast. I, I, I'm a big Alzate fan. I think he's a fantastic central midfielder, and I think Deserbiable will really benefit him. And I think he could be a really good shoe in. I think he could be a really good squad player for us, and really. Um, do well, do wonders for us when he's called upon. Whenever we have those fixture congested moments, if we get Europe. just really quickly, sorry on him. I think he has essentially said that he is pretty happy at the age, and the reason why is that he's playing week in week out. So going by your comments, it doesn't. Maybe he would have to settle to being a squad player at Brighton, which might not maybe. be enough. Well, look, if, I, I, I can't argue with that. If he wants to, if he wants minutes under his belt, then yeah, he probably has to seek elsewhere. But then again, to counteract that, Alexis McAllister could be leaving. We could be seeing Moises Caicedo leaving as well. So, you know, that there, there could be opportunities for him to fight for a place in the squad, and he could turn around to be a really good, an absolute baller for us. Who, you know, who knows? Um, as for Kasper Kozowski, um, I wasn't expecting him to, you know, step for a stab padding season for Vitesse because, well, it's Vitesse over in the Eredivisie and really that they are at that level, you know, their feeder club from Chelsea and, you know, they're, they're benefiting from us with that, with Kozlowski. He's had six goal involvements, which I think is a pretty impressive achievement. He's created quite a lot there for a team of that stature anyway, in terms of the competition that they have against them uh, this season. I think shouldn't go unnoticed. He's on a long-term contract anyway. So regardless, he's going to be on our books, whether that's going to be online or in the squad next season. Again, let's see what happens because he, he's someone that's been talked of really, really highly of um, in the same category as, you know, Caicedo and McAllister was when they, when we signed them. So for me, let's see what happens. Why, what, why not? We've got nothing to lose there really. Um, yeah. And just around as well, that, uh, that I'm not surprised with the Taylor Richards thing. Again, he's he falls under the same category as Kadra. Um, but even then, um, Richards has been a rotation player at best. I think he's only made like 15 appearances this season for QPR too. And QPR have had some bizarre season where they were flirting with promotion and then they find themselves in a relegation yes. scrap. And that, he's, another, he's another player who's had a lot of injuries, sadly. Exactly, exactly. So I think that's really hampers his development. And I think we could have seen a difference, Taylor Richards, to that of what we see today if injuries don't happen. But, you know, that's just, sadly, that's just the nature of the game that uh, we know and love, sadly. Um, you know, and I, 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 we haven't even touched on Kel Sherpin, who is probably showing to just leave this at some point in the summer. I, I can't see him uh, going anywhere else. And then yeah. uh, Mikhail Kapovnik, who the left back who now identifies himself as a central midfielder, um, which is just utterly bizarre. Um, I'm actually just going to try and find out whereabouts he's actually been playing for. Um, is it Fortuna Dusseldorf? 
yeah, yeah but I think he's actually been predominantly the vast majority of the time actually playing at left left back so yeah so um, there's the bizarre situation we're in there so um unless he wants to come back here and uh, but he's on, he's on an option to buy um by the sounds of it so i think uh their patience has been run out yeah he he played one mat uh, two matches sorry in uh, defensive midfield one of them was against gritter firth uh for one minute and then he played a whole match um in defensive mid for against south uh, St. Pauli, um, and that was only back in November. The rest of the time, it's left back every single time. And even then, he's been on the bench. He's had muscular problems this season alone. So again, it's just going to be a case of mm, you're, you're not where we wanted you to be. So um, we'll just take off with that opportunity, just say goodbye. Yeah, I think just to, to round up, I think um, obviously when when you have so many of these players out there on loan, unfortunately, some are going to be... Um, are going to be let go and it's not going to be a happy ending for them um, in terms of playing for Brighton. But I think what Brighton do pretty well is that this, this is still, I mean, pretty much all of these players, or well, so many of them, are cheap buys. So they're not missing yeah. out. It's not like a, I think the days of, well, touch wood, the days of a Jurgen Lacardia, you know, Ali Reza, your handbatch, sort of big money signings where they're potentially transfer, well, they end up being transfer flops, are hopefully done. Um, but we shall see. But yes, good chat, Tom. Really enjoyed that. Uh, but yes, let's um, move on to this weekend where we talk to Kaya about uh, this upcoming game against Arsenal. And I am delighted to say that we are joined by Kaya Kainak, the chief Arsenal writer for Football London. Kaya, how are you doing? I'm very good, Richie. Thank you for having me on. Yes, second time. You're part of um, a pretty, pretty impressive pool of of journalists who are in that second, second um, appearance marker. So, congrats to you, dear boy. Uh, right, let's crack on. So, yes, Brighton uh, travels to Arsenal on Sunday. Uh, the last time these two teams met, Arsenal uh, beat Brighton four two in, in a pretty nuts game where Arsenal initially blew them away and then Brighton got back into it and almost provided a bit of a scare. Uh, for them, I guess ahead of this game, um, I'd like to know. I guess what's the mood amongst the camp? Obviously, Arsenal had a big lead, and then City have caught them, but they're still sort of keeping them honest. What's the kind of feeling amongst Brighton players and fans at the moment? Yeah, it's, it's... <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good right now. Um... I think if you'd asked me last week prior to the Newcastle game, then I would have given you a very different answer. But that Newcastle victory and such a statement performance, it's such a, a difficult ground to go to where only Liverpool have won all season and arguably no one has outplayed Newcastle in the way that Arsenal did. It was a very tight game. It's a very high quality game. But Arsenal were the better side definitely on the day and could even have won by more. And that kind of display is the kind of display that just builds a little bit of momentum and just keeps things going. Obviously, Arsenal were on a run of... Uh, four games without a win before that and they've beaten Chelsea just before the Newcastle game but prior to that it was, it was four games without a win and the mood was pretty down the three draws in the build-up to Man City had meant sort of they'd blown that lead at the top of the table like you said and it was looking pretty pretty ropey and there was sort of a school of thought that will Arsenal just tail off completely will they completely blow the, the title and let Man City win it by 8, 10, 12 points however many you want and that would have been really disappointing given how good a season Arsenal have had. But thankfully, it seems like they're going to try and 
push City all the way to the line. And I think it could be impacted by, as well, the Man City result. Obviously, they're playing earlier in the day up against Everton. It'll be interesting to see what impact that has on Arsenal. Will they go into the game thinking, wow, this is our chance to get back into top sport? Or will they be thinking, we need to keep the pressure off on Manchester City? It's a really intriguing psychological battle. But the mood around Arsenal is, is, is pretty good right now. Kai, I want to talk about um, the two big injury setbacks that have happened that have been confirmed in the last 24 hours. Um, Wim Saliba and Alexander Zinchenko both ruled out for the rest of the season. How big of a miss will that be for two pretty key players in Mikel Arteta's side? I think when it comes to Saliba, honestly, Arsenal have been without him for over a month now. So they've, they've been able to cope. And speaking to people around the club and the vibe you've got pretty much ever since the Man City game, where it was, will Saliba be fit? Will they inject him full of painkillers just to get him on the pitch? That kind of thing. It's always been, well, there's not much point rushing Saliba back now. Let's sort of save him up and get him ready for the start of next season, which I think is the plan. It doesn't require surgery, his injury. So that's that's good. But without him, it's obviously a massive blow for Arsenal, even though Jakob Kivior has come in and done pretty well the past couple of games in replacing Rob Holding. He looks a lot more solid. The Arsenal backline looks a lot more settled. But what you lose with Kivior, who is obviously a left footer, playing on the right side of the defence, is that build-up down the right-hand side. And Bukayo Saka has been quite quiet in the games that Kivior's played, and that's because Arsenal struggled to get the ball to him as much, so they attack more down the left. And So that's a massive, a massive blow for Arsenal. Zinchenko, there is an argument that he might not have even started this game anyway on form. Uh, Kieran Tierney came on at Newcastle and was fantastic in the final half an hour. It was sort of the the, the Newcastle attack was really building up a, a head of steam and, and Tierney just put a pin in that balloon. He just completely quietened them down. And that was massive for Arsenal on the day. It locked down the result. It made sure of the three points. And look, Kieran Tierney's not a bad backup by any stretch of the imagination. He was one of Arsenal's most important players the past two, three seasons, pretty much since he came down from Celtic. And now that he's being thrown into the team again, I think most people are pretty comfortable with him being there. It obviously will be difficult given that Brighton have some very direct right wingers and some very difficult right wingers to track. But I'd like to think Kieran Tierney is a better 1v1 defender than Zinchenko. So arguably, I know Arsenal will probably lose a little bit in possession, but they'll gain a bit in defence, which I think up against a Brighton side who have been so good offensively under Roberto De Zerbi, that's going to be quite big for them. You mentioned about... Um... Uh, you know, Arsenal have, have sort of coped about Saliba. This is sort of a two-pronged one. Do you think that his absence has contributed to Arsenal's sort of drop in form? And what do you think is, is the main factor behind them essentially being overtaken by City during that spell of draws and losses? I think it's it's a part. It's certainly... I don't think it's it's the main part because... Arsenal went to Liverpool and were pretty excellent for the first half an hour, 35 minutes. And then they defended pretty resolutely for most of the second half. And I know Rob Holding gave away a penalty up at Anfield, which Mo Salah missed. But I actually thought he played quite well there. It was the games after where maybe in terms of the build-up, that's where Arsenal were lacking. So Saliba's so good defensively, but he gives Arsenal so much offensively as well. He's he's a brilliant ball progressor. He's great at playing out from the back. And like I said to Tom there, if, if he's not on the pitch, Bakayo Saka doesn't see the ball as much and Bakayo Saka is probably Arsenal's most dangerous attacking threat. So it's certainly been a big factor in why, if you like, the wheels have come off the Arsenal title race. And I think it's why they went into that Man City game with so little belief, because I think they really felt quite porous at the back. They didn't feel they'd be able to defend against Man City and they struggled and they didn't look like a team who thought they could win at the Etihad. But 
since Jakob Kibbeus come in, there does seem to be a bit more calmness and a bit more, um, I guess, assuredness at the back, which is massive for Arsenal because suddenly when the back door is locked more tightly, you know, you can go out and explore around the front and that's that's big for them. Um, but I wouldn't say he's the only reason Saliba's absence. I think uh, defensively, generally, even before Saliba got injured, Arsenal were starting to concede more goals. And that's been a big issue. There was a few individual errors. I mentioned Zinchenko not being in the best of form. At Anfield, for example, he lets Trent Alexander-Arnold get by him too easy and Liverpool equalise at West Ham. Thomas Partey commits an individual error. Bukayo Saka misses a penalty. It's these really fine margins, which in a normal season against a normal opponent, three draws in a row, you could you could bounce back from that. And draws at maybe Anfield and West Ham, you wouldn't be saying a disastrous result. So I think a draw at Southampton at home is, is pretty difficult to spin. But the other two, you'd be saying, you know, you can bounce back, but up against Man City, who are so relentless. And I think it's 15 wins in a row now, which is just unbelievable. You need perfection. And Arsenal haven't quite been able to do that. That's not saying they're a bad team. They're just not as good as this Man City side, who are unbelievable at the minute. Uh, you said something quite interesting there about the wheels are off on the title race right now. You, granted, you have played a, a game more than Arsenal have and are sit just a point behind City. Now, the Albion have five games left and that it does involve, obviously, the Gunners, City and Newcastle. Could there be a, a situation still where maybe, just maybe, Arsenal's title hopes aren't just, aren't just finished yet? Could we see... A, a different turn in the events. Yeah. Will Brighton be your saviour? Well, that's what we're <laughs> hoping for. We're hoping Brighton beat Newcastle and Man City and lose very generously to Arsenal. That'd be very kind. Uh, it's possible. It's not impossible. And I think for Arsenal, what's important is to keep it going until the final week of the season because Man City, on paper, their toughest two fixtures are Brighton away and Brentford away, which are their final two games. And if Arsenal go into it into that final week of the season, allowing City the chance to win it at Brighton or allowing City the chance to, you know, basically have it wrapped up before then. That's not really something that is, is good for them. So they need to keep City honest. They need to keep pressing on City. They need to keep going. So it's not impossible. And City play an Everton side who avoid by um, the win at Brighton. I know I'm on a Brighton podcast. So I won't go into that in too much detail, but they're obviously in between the two Real Madrid games and, the hope from an Arsenal perspective is maybe they take their eye off the ball a little bit and Everton are somehow able to to sneak a result. But listen, you're, you're praying for a miracle at this point. And if City do go on to win every single game between now and the end of the season, like I say, I think that'll end up being something like 20 wins in a row and you know, fair play to them if that's what they're able to do. But it's a case of even if they don't, even if they do drop points in one game, Arsenal would still need them to drop points in another. So it does look very unlikely at the minute. It does look very difficult, but stranger things have happened. I think the season where Man City went on to win the league the first time around, that Aguero season, City were a similar in a similar position where they were relatively far behind United and then they were able to catch things up in the in the final few games. So Arsenal's job basically is just to keep the pressure on, win those final three games and then hope things fall in their favour. But I think most people around the club have accepted it. It's very unlikely. Just out of curiosity, so um, I guess from... A Brighton perspective, I certainly take the view that this is a season where Brighton really need to capitalise because you've got the likes of Chelsea and not at the at the races properly. Tottenham are a little bit out of sorts. 
Um, Liverpool aren't, you know, pushing for, well, obviously they have a chance at top four, but usually, you know, the title contenders. So I see this as a really good chance for Brighton to get top four. Is there, well, um, I guess it's, you know, it's a bit further ahead, but with Arsenal, is there a case of, is this a massive missed opportunity if they don't get it, if, if teams come back full gun blazing next season? I've heard that argument and I do see the merit in it. And like you say, Chelsea have been way off it. Liverpool are in a transition phase. Man United are in a similar transition phase. Spurs, we don't really know what's going on with them. And yeah, you could argue that maybe Arsenal missed out on the opportunity. But again, I go back to how many points Man City are going to get towards the end of the season. Arsenal, if they win all their games, will finish with 90 points. I don't know if you can classify that as a missed opportunity if a team finishes with the same number of points as the Invincibles got and they're unable to win the league. I don't know if that's maybe fair to classify it as a missed opportunity, but you do have to judge the season as it is. And yes, you could argue that. But then again, this Arsenal team is is really young and that's one of their biggest strengths. Their two best players arguably are both 21. Erdegaard's only 24. Um, the defenders, there's not a player in that starting defensive lineup who's over the age of 25. So that means that this Arsenal side is well set to, to carry on and keep challenging for years to come. And they're going to invest in the summer. They're going to try and bring in a few good players to supplement what they've already got and build to, to challenge in the Champions League as well as the Premier League. So I don't know if it's a case of Arsenal having to seize it this time. A bit like when Leicester won the Premier League, you really felt that, you know, Leicester need to win it now because it will never happen again in their history. Whereas Arsenal, I feel like they're building something and, you know, Arteta's built the right culture. He's brought the right players in and you can see where things are going. So I wouldn't say it's a massive missed opportunity in the sense that no one expected it to happen this year. But um, obviously, it'll be disappointing if they're not able to do it. I'd quite like to throw that question over to what your thoughts are on the Albion. Obviously, the position that we're in at the moment is it's incredible. But uh, a few results, shall we say, haven't really gone our way at the moment. And like you say, capitalising on missed opportunities haven't really happened either. How do you see the Albion season panning out and do you think if we don't get Europe is that going to be seen as a as an underwhelming season or it's a job achieved so from my perspective I think top four may just be out of reach for Brighton right now <laughs> I know I'm on a Brighton podcast and I know I probably shouldn't say that but I think with no, that, that's Tom Tom is Tom is that view I, I'm of like Europe's good but yeah okay Op- well optimism is the way forward I just think that fixture list is too difficult I, I look at Man City away and I look at Newcastle. Is it Newcastle's away, right? Yep. yep. Yeah. So those are two very difficult games. And obviously Arsenal away as well makes it a third. But if there's a team that have shown they can pull off a surprise result this season, even if you can call it a surprise anymore, it's, it's Brighton. And I think the biggest credit to what they've done this season is in that FA Cup semi-final. You could argue they were favourites against Man United. And I know Man United are obviously way ahead in the league, but they spent a lot more money. They've They've done things a very different way to Brighton. And I think what I make of Brighton's season is it's been fantastic. And obviously, they'll want to qualify for Europe. And if they don't even qualify for the Conference League, then that'll be a, there will be a massive disappointment in the short term. But you'll be able to look back on it in a few years' time or maybe even a few months' time and say, wow, what a season. Um, no one saw this coming. And also, Brighton have done it in the right way. They've done it through outsmarting other Premier League teams and it's it's telling that every single big six team seems to want every single Brighton player and that's that's because of all the good job that Brighton have done and I think they'll get Europa League I think there's there's teams that will drop points within that group I don't see Aston Villa winning all their games I definitely don't see Spurs winning all their games so there's a possibility Liverpool are a bit of an unknown factor in the sense that 
they haven't been very consistent until this point of the season, but suddenly they seem to have found some consistency. But I reckon Brighton can can make the Europa League spots. And even if they just finish Conference League, I think it's still a massive achievement. It'll be Brighton's first ever season in Europe. And obviously it's going to be difficult to hold on to this squad of players and players like Caicedo being linked with a move away. I think Matoma's being linked with a move away as well, isn't he? There's, there's lots of important players being linked away. But Brighton's sort of superpower is whenever someone leaves, they seem to have someone who you've never heard of that they can just pull out of the woodwork and then play him instead. So that is that is why, a bit like Arsenal, to be honest, I think the fact that, yes, it's been a singular good season, but also the groundwork and the roots underneath it have been built to ensure that this can be sustained and keep going for years to come. So whereas I think Spurs have a massive, massive sorry, a very difficult job getting back into Europe uh, as in the top six places next season, I think the same for Chelsea. And I think Liverpool have a lot of question marks they still need to answer. Brighton, I feel like with their defined style of play, with their manager, hopefully they're able to keep the Zerbi. And with these sort of never-ending conveyor belt of talent that they seem to be able to unearth from across the world, I think they can sustain this. And I really hope they do because Brighton's, Brighton's a great club and you know I really, really enjoy watching them. Except well, for on Sunday where I hope they lose. No offence. Yes. Yeah, well, <laughs> so well up into that point. But yeah, obviously. Um, final one from me, just want to add. So you touched upon, obviously, um, Brighton's coveted players. Uh, this is maybe a bit of an unfair question, but can you see Arsenal? Obviously, Caicedo basically said, I want to join up Arsenal in January. Didn't happen. Um, can you see Arsenal going back in for him? Or do you think a potential price tag of, you know, upwards of 70, 80, even more potentially would put them off? Or would they go for any other Brighton players? Well, Arsenal have money. And a lot of the talk... Uh, around the Mudrick deal uh, in January when Chelsea came in with a, a silly offer of €100 million Euros on an eight-year contract. A lot of the talk was, well, Arsenal can't afford to match that. And that wasn't true. Arsenal have the, the financial muscle to be able to, to pay those big fees if they want to, but they'll only pay them if they think the deal is right and they're not afraid to walk away from deals if they feel that they're, they're over overspending on players. I think when it comes to Caicedo, the big thing to consider is Arsenal's primary midfield target this summer is Declan Rice. And Rice can play both as the more defensive six role and the more offensive eight role. And I think that versatility and obviously the leadership and ability to intercept and all those kind of things lend themselves to lend themselves to Arsenal wanting Rice. And that's the player they're going for as their, their primary target this summer. But that doesn't mean that they won't try and go for Caicedo too. A lot of it depends on what happens with with Granit Xhaka, who is attracting interest in Bayer Leverkusen and has just one year remaining on his contract, so though Arsenal have the option to extend that. So there's a lot of ifs and buts. Arsenal could come back in for Caicedo. I wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me whether they'd be able to, having said, you know, they've got money, whether they'd be able to sign Declan Rice, who could be, you know, upwards of 100 million, and then Caicedo, who could be 70, 80, like you're saying, and then address the other areas of the squad they need, like they need a centre-back. They probably need another forward as well. Whether they can do all that within the same window... I don't know. But a lot of it depends on outgoings. A lot of it depends on, on other things. So it's not impossible, I wouldn't say. I think, you know, for Arsenal and for Arsenal fans, a summer of getting Rice and Caicedo in would, would be superb. But I think also what makes it difficult with Caicedo is it's not just Arsenal who are interested, is it? Man U are probably interested. Liverpool are interested. I'm sure Chelsea would, would like him. I've, I've heard some stuff about Real Madrid as well. I think maybe he did an interview saying that he, Real Madrid's his dream. He's, he seems to have a lot of a lot of dreams uh, in terms of the teams he wants to go to. But listen, the reason is, again, because he's a very good player and, and Brighton have unearthed yet another gem. So 
Brighton have signed him down to a new contract and listen, they've, they've got themselves into a very intelligent position so they can kind of charge whatever they want for him. Well, Kai, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, always great to hear your insight on the Gunners. Uh, just before you leave, ears tradition after all, what is your score prediction into this match? It's a really hard one to predict, especially because I don't know what impact that 5-1 defeat on Monday will have on Brighton. I don't know if it will mean they'll want to come out and they'll be playing even better than they already would have done, or if it means they'll sort of lose confidence and go into their shells a bit more. I think with the, the confidence that Arsenal have, they'll have to go into this game and everything that's on the line for them, they'll have to go into this game thinking they can win. I don't think it'll be easy by any stretch of the imagination, but I'd probably go for a 2-1 to Arsenal, but that's not with the kind of confidence that probably going up against a team who have just lost 5-1 to a team in the relegation zone should give you. But yeah, I think it'd be a really, really difficult game, but 2-1 to Arsenal just because of everything they need to do. Oh, go on, Rich. Oh, no, Richie. Richie, you go first. I want to hear yours. Um. Yeah, I think it. I think. I think two one. I think it will be close, but I think just. I think Arsenal obviously. I just think they have too much quality over the game, and also the bench. Brighton are yeah quite got uh, quite a lot of injuries at the moment, and I just feel they have that those sort of winners off the bench, and I think Brighton don't have that as in spades as much. So I think yeah, I think two one. Yeah, uh, Rich, Richie's thinking with his head there, which is very sensible. I'm going with my heart. I think we're going to get a result. I reckon 2-2. Two, 2-2. Two. Two, two. Bit of drama at the Emirates. Why not? Sounds good. good. As ever. Yeah, look. Cool. Thank you so much, Kai, once again. Uh, give, what, give us a shout out uh, where we can find all your work. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm on Twitter at KaiaKainak97. I'm also on Facebook, which is just KaiaKainak Journalist. And then... Uh, Football.London is where you can find my articles. If uh, any of the Brighton fans fancy reading up on Arsenal this weekend and fancy doing a bit of their homework, you can find all that good stuff on the Football.London website. Excellent stuff. Well, guys, thank you so much uh, for listening. Be sure to like, subscribe on YouTube and to follow us on all the podcast platforms that you listen to wherever you are. Uh, Enjoy the game if you're going to go. And as always, guys, uh, up the Albion and here's to a very exciting business end to the season.